Hello and welcome to Re-Energize. This is the monthly podcast from the Offshore Renewable Energy Catalog here in the UK. You'll discover emerging tech in offshore renewables and learn the latest plans for harnessing the world's natural resources and cleaning up the energy act. My name is Dr. Carlos Arhan. I'm the Data and Digitalization Team Lead at the ORE Catalog, the UK's leading innovation and research centre for offshore renewables. Today we are discussing data. It's a very powerful component in accelerating the world's transition to clean energy. We will focus on the operation of wind farms. I'm hoping to answer three key questions. Firstly, what data is available from an operational wind farm and how is that data typically used? Secondly, how can we get everyone from operators to supply chain to tech developers to share more? And finally, what are the data-driven innovations and business opportunities waiting to be uncovered in the wind farm data gold mine? Today, I am joined by Ian Dinwoody, Principal Energy Analyst from Natural Power, and Jonathan Butler, Wind Asset Performance Engineer from SSE Renewables. Before we launch into the podcast, we'll start with our one-minute challenges. Ian and Jonathan are tasked with explaining two technical terms you'll hear later on, in a minute or less. Johnny Butler from SSE is the Wind Asset Performance Engineer. Can you describe SCADA in one minute? Supervisory control and data acquisition system uh, exists on each wind farm uh, and turbine and collects uh, and aggregates all of the, the information from all the various sensors on, on that asset. And there will be data from each turbine that flows to a central system on each wind farm um, and that will be stored um, as, as the uh, OEM sees fit and that information um, will be stored for lengths of time again as the OEM sees fit. Um, but it provides very useful information on power, wind speed, um, pitch curves, that sort of thing. But then it will go into the, the thousands of tags and you can look at things to do with temperatures, pressures uh, and counts uh, and flags throughout the whole system. It's a sort of catch-all for all your data and understanding is key. Excellent. Ian Dinwiddie, uh, Senior Asset Performance Engineer at Natural Power. Can you describe CMS in one minute? So a condition monitoring system is any system that allows you to track the performance and identify issues with uh, components remotely. Um, and for wind systems, that has historically been um, vibration sensors on the drivetrain, the gearbox and the generator, main bearing, noticing if anything's changing in the performance there, alert that there may be an issue. But there are various other types of systems that are classified as CMS, and um, so counters of particles, for example, and um, but also it could be strain gauges, something as simple as that. Anything that can track the, the health of your asset or component over time and be monitored remotely is what I would like to see. Okay, thank you very much. So let's dive into the, the key discussion for the day, which is all around data, the data landscape and, and how it's being used in the operations and maintenance phase for, for uh, wind sites on and offshore. So Johnny, I'd like to start with you. Can you just give me a feel for what data sources are available, which ones you use, and then from that, maybe lead on to what typical analysis you do. I just want to get a feel for you know the data analysis involved in your day job, really. Yeah, so basically we're working on, on raw SCADA data um, and, and processing alarms um, and uh, basic information along with power, wind speed, pitch. Um, I, 
for our, for what we do, we work on the ten minute data um, and initially sort of, like I said, organize it uh, and create reports and dashboards uh, and top level summary information that can be passed up and out through the through the organization to to site and to directors so we can get an idea of what's happening on each individual wind farm. Um, through that process, we also are then able to start looking at, at performance um, and are starting to look at power curves and, and tracking that information over time. Um, so the, the complexities are to do with the, the variety of sites and SCADA systems that we have to deal with them. Uh, no, no two OEMs have the same system or same principles and translating between each of those into a common uh, output is uh, quite a time consuming and challenging process. Um, but uh, the, the theory being that once you've, you've done it once, you can keep doing it. We, we also incorporate other, other pieces of information and um, sort of static data to do with the sites, budgets, plans. That sort of thing, but then also we need to be able to report on um, curtailment losses, whether they're compensated or not. So that has to come from a different data source. Um, and combining all those, combining that data source with SCADA data is a challenge. Um, and that's where we are at the moment. Yeah. So. Great, thank you. And Ian, uh, how about yourself? So Natural Power's background in in onshore, the reason people asked Natural Power to do things initially was and this is 15, 15 years ago, that has been around for 20 years, but it's probably about 15 years ago, started doing on-site um, analysis. And it was all driven by health and safety. It was uh, health and safety, number one, site, who was on your site, what were they doing? And pretty quickly after that, um, there was a realization from owners, operators, that if you weren't quite proactive on chasing OEMs, you you would very quickly be forgotten about. Um, so the, the focus then really for maybe the next decade was about availability numbers, about checking that your contractual guarantee that you have with the OEM has been met. If not, how are you compensated? Um, if not, what should we be doing? And, um, and increasingly around that, started to try to get a picture of reliability and, and what, was, what was going on. And then I'd say a couple of years before, before I joined, so we're talking the last five, six years, there's been a lot more performance information in, in, in available in data that historically, um, certainly onshore, if we're totally honest, people had PPAs and rocks that meant projects were built. They were maybe slightly down where you thought you'd be beforehand, but taking along quite nicely and um, people were making money. And all you had to worry about was making it safe, making it turn and great if you had some contractual um, obligation. And, and that shifted quite a lot. Obviously, certainly uh, onshore, the um, support mechanisms were gone, but even, even CFD, which is similar offshore, the consequence of, of um, not performing as well as you can has become much more significant. So um, we've increasingly been asked and tasked with um, having a better understanding of, of failures of downtime, benchmarking across industry. Excellent. So I think what we're hearing here is um, reflecting your, your, your job roles, really focusing on asset performance assessments. So I guess moving into the discussion of data sharing, I just want to start on internal data sharing. So you, you will have these data sources internally. Um, 
do you do you feel like you've got the right data that you need for the, the analysis that you're doing or are there barriers internally to getting the data that your company actually generates and owns? In the short term, yes, we have access to all the SCADA data and things. It's taken a while for all that to filter through, but we're starting to get there and be able to increase the scope of what we do across the fleet. Um, in terms of sharing data internally and combining data sources, that is one of our, one of our main challenges is, is how, where does everything get hosted so that your SCADA data, your analysis of SCADA data can speak to your analysis of work orders and your analysis of what's happening on site and grid outages of planning, that sort of thing is how do we, how do you combine all that information so that you can do a single piece of analysis on it rather than have to do several pieces of analysis, combine them and then do more analysis based on that. Um, as one of the challenges that we're working through at the moment, making some good progress on that as an organization. It's a long journey and there's lots of moving parts. Um, so it feels like you think there's some centralized processing or work needed to be done that will improve internal sharing throughout the whole company once you get those kind of harmonization yeah, done. Exactly. I think the data does exist in centrally, but the understanding of how it can be connected together is something that's necessarily um, broadly understood is why is why are work orders important to scatter data and um, in isolation they're not. But if you want to truly understand what you're seeing in, in certain days, certain events, or be able to discount certain periods because something was happening. And that's why it becomes important. Okay. And Ian, from Natural Power's point of view, do you see yeah, so just, other I'll, challenges I'll, internally? Yeah, I'll, I'll pick up. Okay. So one of the, I think it's always easy to imagine in your head a perfect system where all your data lives and mm. communicates. Um, not at all related to our, our um, wind site data, our operational data, the interesting stuff that I do, but our other processes as a company. So document management, quality management, mm -hmm. health and safety reporting, timesheets for um, budgeting. We have one system that's meant to do all that and, and the end result is that system does it all but maybe not as well mm -hmm. as if you had a single, a single. So there is also a slight danger that you could, we could, the industry could come together and say this is our dream system that takes everything and spends the next decade trying to build a, an open platform and the reality is that you then go to an old site and it's handwritten work orders mm -hmm. and it breaks that platform. So we don't get any benefit there. So I'm totally sold on that existing. And if some smart person comes up <laughs> with that, we'll buy it. But uh, <laughs> it, I, I think the... Exactly. I think because we've got sites that are 10, 15 years old uh, and the, the SCADA system is not existing. Yeah. How do you tell how do you tell if the turbine is spinning? Well, somebody climbs a hill and looks at it. Um, and it's 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 not really like that. But um, some, it, it, in terms of what you get from a brand new site, that's what it can feel like. We're used to being able to do certain things with a brand new site. Yeah. That, and then someone says, All right, let's go do that with our whole fleet. And you're looking back 10, 15 years into a 15-year-old 850 kilowatt yeah. turbine. And it hasn't. It's got like three sensors or something. That that, that becomes quite a complicated thing to manage. Uh, and away from away from wind, we also deal with hydro. Um, and we're looking. You you can be as a team. We can be looking at hydro data from the facilities that are over a hundred years old. Yes, the equipment's not a hundred years old, but it could be 25, 30 years. Uh, and in terms of development of what's happened to SCADA type systems. That that is an incredibly large length of time, man. Particularly if you're 
if you're looking at catchment areas of hydro as well, you can be, the information of that comes from hand-drawn topographical graphs. Um, and that, that's something that is, is difficult to manage. But back to the wind side of things, try to get a power curve from a, try to get the contractor or the sales power curve from a 15-year-old turbine to be able to include in your models. That's, yeah. quite, that's quite a challenge as well. And is it even appropriate anymore yeah. as well? well but that, that's, that takes me nicely onto the, the next side of the question I wanted to get to. I want to find out from, from you guys in your day job, do you have challenges around accessing external data? So you've just mentioned power curves from a turbine manufacturer. So SSE don't design the turbines, they have to buy the turbine and that turbine should be supplied with a, a power curve explaining how the power should match with the wind. But that's an external data source. It's a static piece of information, but it's like an external piece of information. Do you have challenges accessing data that's external? 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what? Let us hear your your take on what kind of. Can, can, if you draw concrete stories, that's good. But also, kind of, what are the main reasons that people say no when you need that? So, data? there's been a culture of secrecy amongst the OEMs. I think that's fair to say, and I, it's very easy as a an operator in there or owner to sit and, and bash the OEMs. I understand. They. I remember having this conversation with someone from one of the big OEMs and said, "Yeah, but we've spent." 100 million euros developing a new platform. Of course, we're secretive, of course, we're protective. Um, but then at the same time, a different OEM who had a particle sensor installed in the machine and chose to make that sensor invisible to the, the, to the operators. Mm -hmm. And then the operators noticed someone's going and something is happening that we can't see from our data that we have. And they had another CMS system. They had a vibration sensor that was showing nothing. And then someone was going, eventually on site, they managed to get access to the sensor and started looking. And then the William said, oh, yeah, we can see that sensor as well. And at that stage, when they were pressed, said, yes, here's the safe limit you should work for. And then internally, the, this wasn't actually that further. So um, monitoring this sensor, particle count, and saying, we think there's an issue. No, no, there's no issue, there's no issue. Oh, turbine stopped, something's changed, there's been a retrofit that we weren't aware of. And, it, and then ultimately that retrofit failed, and it's clear as day from one sensor that was chosen to be hidden, that there was a fault that resulted in our damage to a gearbox. Um, now, why did they do that? Because they're, they don't want bad publicity, <laughs> essentially. Um, it's as simple as that. So, so a couple of key things there you've got, you've mentioned that the sensitivity and the IP restrictions, the, mm -hmm. the owner of, or the designer of the turbine doesn't want to give all the data away because you might be able to back capital, things like control algorithms, for example, or yep. failure prediction models. But you've also talked about ownership of the aftermarket and, and taking a chunk of that part of the market. Yep. And there's an incentive to hold on to some of the, the data which gives you that reveals some of the value of what's happening in the aftermarket area. So they're, they're two interesting areas. Have you got more to add, Johnny? No, I would say yeah, the the after the aftermarket is definitely something that, as you say, they will, they'll want to hold on to their their intellectual property because if it's freely available, then everyone will just go and we'll do it instead. And and it's one of those things is people want to be able to take things in house and do things of their own way. Um, but it's it's a challenge to do that because you need to understand what all the different scatter tags mean, what the different responses mm -hmm. under different circumstances, and all the different alarms. And you can't you can't go to an OEM and say, "Tell us what you do for all your alarms," or "Tell us what all these tags mean," but, because they won't give it to you. But then there's a question of 
okay, uh, a three turbine site in the UK, maybe that's unreasonable to ask that. But if you're looking at a, you're looking at Dogger Bank, they're gig, a gigawatt power station essentially. Um, and if you ask uh, your engineers in the thermal plant, they'll have every single nut bolt design code. Every bit of every line of software available to them in a if you if you're building a two gigawatt nuclear reactor, um, and at a certain point, I think they have to if 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 they want to be treated as a utility scale um, power plant, there needs to be an openness. That, that's you know. the question comes from somewhere else in the company or somewhere. What happened at your wind farm? Why did that happen? And if you can, if you, your your eternal response is. I'll have to go ask the OEM. As you say, that doesn't look good. It looks, it, it's fine, as you say, for 20 turbines or whatever. But mm. when, when, as we're going into Dogger Bank uh, and Sea Green and things, these are gigawatt scale things. Yeah. And as you say, you, you won't have the, the flexibility to be able to say, well, I'll go ask them and wait for months for responses because they're, they're your one point of contact is the point of contact for. 20 different sites, that sort of thing. And that's, that becomes a, a challenge to, to deal with that, as you say, you want yeah. tomorrow. Maybe it's the sort of thing that needs to be built into a contractual well, agreements at the outset. So I'm aware of one of our major people we work for um, and other developers we're speaking to in the last couple of weeks um, have said that they can't allow this situation that's happened with a major OEM not being taken over or merging, but essentially mm -hmm. going administration um, to happen again and any future um, there's a less a big lesson learned there yeah. <laughs> I think and I think that that was a lesson learned maybe 15 years ago just about SCADA in general mm -hmm. people were like ah oh, it's fine we don't really need it they just turn away and then you suddenly realize well actually we'd like to be able to do some analysis so people insist that um, and maybe there's an opportunity for for one of the OEMs to be a bit braver and say mm -hmm. yes we'll give everything yeah. Um, I think it's also a more focus on it as well. Historically, um, because of subsidies and the way it was, it was very much a, and as you said, build it and, and forget almost, build it and move on to the next thing, build it, move on to the next thing. The margins are thinner, everything's changed. The focus is now turning round onto that and saying, all right, how can we, where are the marginal gains? Where are the, where are the small things that we can do? And you can only, you can't only do, there are other ways of doing it, but in, in this, this sort of this conversation, that that way is through data yeah. um, and, and understanding not just what you're being given, but the protocols and the principles around what's happening uh, around the wind farm, uh, in con control algorithms, that sort of thing. And, and we're a long way from being able to understand control algorithms yeah. it, it, away from the OEMs, but that is inevitably where you, where you keep going. Well, yeah. it's, it's a current interest of, of mine is that onshore as we're getting to sort of the end of life um there's just a lot of of interest in operating to 30 30 plus years um again 15 year old 20 year old turbines the odds of you having a complete scatter record are are very very slim if, if at all um, and I think there's there's a potential problem being stacked up where people are going to assume everything's fine to put beyond based on on models and um, where really it's going to be low cost measurements. Yeah. It's going to be very cheap 
structural condition monitoring systems that will allow that, that operation to happen. Um, because the current way of, of, of doing modeling when you don't know the controller, don't know the materials, mm -hmm. um, you don't have visibility of how well it's being maintained, mm -hmm. you don't even know what the wind was because your SCADA mm -hmm. wind speed isn't a true wind speed, um, uh, to then say, right, we'll, we'll pay for inspections yeah. every year um, when the margins start to disappear. I, I'm not sure that will that will need to work. So, but I think the industry is going through a big learning phase yeah. in it. Um, uh, and in, I think maybe on the data front, quite a lot's been taken back onshore from offshore. So, so I want to now like flip the question a little bit and just try and identify some of the tactical barriers to data sharing. So, let's take a real concrete example. You guys both work with ten-minute scatter data that you have. This is yours. You must have had examples where there's SMEs or researchers asking for that data because they've got some wonderful algorithm. <laughs> the, tell, tell me about those, those, were you able to just give the data out or what, what sort of steps you have to go through before you give out that 10 minute scatter data to a supplier or oh. solution provider? Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and say, so we, we've got the added complication of, with most of the data, we don't own it. <laughs> mm, we, yeah, we, we handle the data on behalf of, um, the, the owner and the operator. For external sharing, we, we, we have to essentially say to um, the owners of the data, um, yeah. we can facilitate this for you. So essentially you're getting the benefit of improved performance, of improved uh, information. The SME or actually more with us tends to be universities yeah. or yeah. search group, They'll do the analysis. We'll go in between and we'll support them as needed mm -hmm. with a view that that learning, we could then offer that as a service elsewhere. So right. it can work, but there's, there's actually an extra layer of paperwork to, to yeah. go to. Um, yeah. And so we, we've sort of, um, and we had another experience of trying to put into uh, contracts uh, a data clause that mm -hmm. said, essentially, we can use anonymized that data for any purposes and the benefits would be reciprocal. So mm -hmm. if we use, we don't have to come for written permission, we can use it and if we give it to our um, students and they do something with that data, we are obliged to share that outcome with, with you. Yeah. And there was a, a lot of um, reservations and a lot of lawyers who balked <laughs> when they saw, oh, you want to use our data to, 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 to do to, to do what? To do what? From SSE's point of view, I mean, you, I, I'm conscious that you're doing this sort of thing. You, you do try and share data with the catapult, but you, you'd be sharing with lots of other solution providers. Do, do, you, do you see similar or, or additional barriers? Yeah, I mean, logistically, sharing and data is not, not a technical challenge. Um, it could be, it could, be, could be smoother, it could be nicer. Mm. Um, but it is, uh, as Ian was elaborating on, it is, is the contractual question and in the world at large there is a lot of questions around data and data privacy um, and the use of data and what that means and I think that leads to a more natural cautiousness amongst people who are looking at these contracts and, and reading through them and saying oh well what are you going to do with it I, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't actually know what we're going to get from it I don't actually know, but I know that you can get some. Yeah. And an engineer says, oh, that sounds great, really yeah. interesting. And a lawyer says, absolutely, yeah. in a way, and that's their job. Yeah. Um, and but I think it's, it's interesting because going back to the evolution of the wind industry and 
for sites that are three, 20, 50 uh, wind farms, uh, less than 100 megawatts, it's, it's maybe not an issue um, because it's data and it doesn't affect the national infrastructure. But when we're talking about gigawatt power plants, not sheer sharing of data is one thing, but access to data and access to live streams becomes an issue because that is a, um, that's a, I want to say national security issue. No, it's, it's a grid, grid, yeah, that's the word, it's grid, grid infrastructure issue. Is that becomes part of the issue. And yes, we, we generally, I certainly work on isolated 10 minutes scattered a day after the fact, but the access to that provides these same surf, same routes in and out. And it's, yeah. whilst I understand, whilst it's frustrating, um, the cautiousness and the pain that sometimes you go through when, as you say, as an engineer, you're like, oh, let's do that, let's look at this, let's do this. To have to go through these other channels, I, I do understand it. It doesn't lessen the frustration in any way, um, but it is it is yeah. what it is. And it, it, it is a, a, a slows down a lot of innovation. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's some really good stuff here. I think the key areas that have emerged are, you know, there might be that layer of ownership to deal with and there's a bit more paperwork. There's this information security and grid infrastructure security. But the, the point you touched on there, Johnny, about needing to know the use case before you can share the data is one that, that I, I really don't know how you get around. And I guess what I want to know is, do you see it more as lawyers saying, legally, we need this in a contract somewhere? Or is it like the sort of decision making that needs to ba like balance up the value of the, the data next to the value of this solution that's going to come out? Is there a sort of engineering manager or something needs to know the value of the outputs or is it a legal yeah, dispute? Maybe it's something along those lines is that the the lawyers, uh, when people are sorry, sorry, picking a lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> whoever's looking at the contract is saying, oh, I'm naturally cautious about this, I'm naturally cautious about that, that that's fair enough. Um, for them to be not cautious about it, they need to get guidance as that, that, that this is okay to move forward and this is what we want to do. So that needs to come from further up probably in, in, in the companies to say, right, this is what we want to do. Don't, don't stand in the way. Yeah. Excellent. So I think I'll move on to the, the final area I'd like to touch on. <clears throat> we've, had, we've got a good feel for the data that you typically use, the landscape, the, the analysis you do, and, and some of the barriers of why that data isn't shared, why, why it's not being shared better amongst your companies and throughout the, the whole supply chain. But let's now move into sort of looking forwards a little bit. There are a, a non-stop supply of, of solution providers, be them universities, SMEs, or some of the bigger players, like you said, uh, Johnny, Microsoft are coming to the, the renewable sector, IBM are coming in, the big oil and gas guys are coming in. So there's lots of solutions coming at all various scales. So what is on your wish list? What, what sort of data-driven innovations do you think we really need in the next year or two? There's obviously a lot of stuff that might be way down the line, but what, what are the sort of real priorities for you guys that would, you know, step change, improve your day-to-day your -day analytics tasks? Who would like to go first? <laughs> Ian? So in a, in a dream scenario, the, the OEMs would all get together and say, we're having a new standardized SCADA or turbine information flow, rather than having to make the onus on the operators or the sorry the developers to, to buy it as an optional extra and install the, the secondary SCADA system through another if the OEM said no we understand that this will have a small upfront cost but actually it will allow identification of faults to be identified it'll allow performance issues to be um, addressed sooner and quicker and um, it will allow 
more remote resets without people having to climb turbines. Um, I, I don't think there's a silver bullet, but I think there's everything that's done now could be done better um, with with um, sort of a consistent regular data flow because that would allow people who develop clever analysis on mm -hmm. on one system to share it um, more openly. Um, so that that would be a big uh, things. Um, yeah, ultimately, we don't want people on turbines. We want the turbines mm -hmm. to, to run themselves and to be diagnosed remotely. Um, but we can't just replace the cost of sending a technician to fix something with the cost of um, every turbine needing someone to, to watch it 24-7. Um, and, and that's always been the challenge of, of you've got an old 500-kilowatt machine that trundles away nicely. How do you save costs there? Well you do the bare minimum to keep it traveling along nicely and it's never going to pay to, to pay. So. I mean, if they would, you know, backdate that super SCADA system. Yeah, I agree. Sort of more, more standardization um, across OEMs um, and across the, the different data types that are available as well, not just SCADA data, but... Um, internally across how we deal with work orders but it'd be interesting to see how if if everyone sat down and shared how they do yeah, all these well, things and so, came up with the best practice well, the trouble, so, so so maybe to, to kind of bring the discussion to an end if i am a solution provider an sme small to medium enterprise and um, with a machine learning algorithm that, that can predict failures but all i need is and i really want to work with with your organizations all i need is a little sample of the data and a sort of like pilot study to show that it works can you give me one piece of advice of how I can get you know in the door and get get that opportunity to work with your organisations? So there are some real world data sets out there um, to to do a proof of concept. Yeah. And um, then if you if you can come and be as specific as possible of this is why this is a problem that so rather than saying this is a, a do it all system, this is a system that we know will solve this particular problem on this type of wind farm, um, and some sort of agreement if if we use it on one of your system on one of these sites we're allowed to use that as a case study to sell it elsewhere i think that would be the most likely and benefit because we do see a lot of systems that promise the world um, and without specific examples that we can relate to issues we've actually seen it's a very hard sell right. and johnny you got any nugget of gold for the SMEs out there <laughs> yeah 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 i think clue be clear and quantify the, the benefit in terms of uh, cost, uh, uh, generation and revenue. Um, there are lots of people trying to snake oil salesmen um, uh, and it's difficult to know what's actually going to produce the goods as it were. Um, but if you can use the real world data set that Ian's referenced to say, we've looked at this and from this and from this example we would have you would have made this x amount of money uh, more and um, that that gets people's attention i think it's just interesting because you know, as i said i'm saying quantify it in terms of revenue generation bonus that sort of thing and it is that that's what gets people attention bottom line always does but um in the world where we are moving to more and more generation uh, from renewables um, for for climate change reasons uh, and changing the nature of the grid. 
quantifying it in terms of extra generation should should be just as important. But mm. because bottom line rules, it's that it comes down is that it's, it's one of those catch twenty twos. It's like you know, partly you can be in renewables because you want to change the world, you want to do do that sort of thing, and to do that, you want to improve generation. But actually, improve generation doesn't always mean improve revenue. It can be to do with the timing of your generation as much as when you generate it or where you generate it from in terms of that sort of thing. And those are those are just interesting asides in terms of the whole quantifying, but for the yeah. time being quantifying in terms yeah. of revenue is the way to get someone's attention. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much. That was really useful. Ian and Johnny, thank you for taking part in today's episode. It's time to de-energize now until next time. Listeners can also find more news on renewable energy at ore.catapult.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at ore catapult. We'll be back this time next month, so make sure you subscribe.